wrote a paper about him. You did? Yeah. What was it like to write a paper class. about him? Huh? What was it like? It was interesting. Okay. Why? I don't know. But welcome to this episode of The Critical Millennial. Today we are having a grief party. Grief party. Oh, I don't know if you can like make that. Can I, can I right now just say that I'm going to repurpose funerals? I'm going to rename them grief parties? Sure, yeah. Because people are like, oh, I have to go to a funeral. But what if you're like, I'm going to a grief party? <laughs> no. I don't know. I feel. I feel like for some people, it might kill the vibe when you show up and like. Or it might create a vibe. You get your... <laughs> don't say kill the vibe because there's so. Oh my gosh! I didn't realize. I'm so sorry. Jeez, Alex. I'm having a grief party right now. Ah, uh, he is. Look at that face. That's a sorry face. <laughs> anyway, on this episode, we're gonna do a discussion of grief. We're gonna look at it. Um, we're gonna create a theology of grief, if you will. If you will. Uh, endorse us in that and then we're going to talk about a film after we talk about our theology of grief called the party's just beginning and yes you haven't heard of it because it's a pretentious kyle film i was going to say it's a kyle film 100 percent. but you can find it on hulu right now in its entirety it was written and directed by karen gillen some of you know her from doctor who is amy pumped nope sorry (gasps) And some of you know her from Jumanji. Jumanji! As Martha's character in the video yeah, I game. I actually don't know her name. I don't remember it either. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then most of you probably know her as Nebula. Nebula. From the Guardians of the Galaxy. She talks the about this franchise. all the time. Because she's angry. And, <laughs> and she's part mostly robot yeah, now. Yeah, robot. But anyway, come join us in the grief party. Oh my gosh, the critical millennial. Okay, Alex, can you, for a moment, just let's talk about a definition of grief. What is grief? Grief, so I pulled up Merriam-Webster, multiple definitions, but the number one is deep and poignant distress caused by, as if by, bereavement. Or the other way of saying it is a cause of such suffering. Mm. So that's... Like, that's, if if you want a definition, that's the textbook, that's literally. The, that's the textbook definition. I want to bring up um, a quote by Nicholas Waltersdorf. Per- good name. Good name. Uh, good name. Uh, he's yeah. a Christian philosopher, and he taught at a couple u- different universities. Um, but he, years and years ago, lost his son in a, a climbing accident. Mm. And then he went on this whole journey of grief. And in, and in this like article he wrote, he says that grief is wanting the death or destruction of the loved one to be undone while at the same time knowing it cannot be undone. Grief is wanting the loved one back when one knows he cannot come back. What do you think of that definition? Yeah. It, so immediately the, the word that pops in my head is selfishness Mm. from that. Uh, it's almost like it's, I. You're not here and I need you. And the reason I'm grieving you is for my own benefit. Mm. You know? Benefit or what, or what do you mean? My own desire, need. Desire. Okay. I guess that's kind of instead of benefit, mm. like I'm not benefited by it. Well, in, in some instances you might think that. Like because catharsis. Like, right. Yeah. Or like I can't go on with my life without mm. you, you mm-hmm. know? And that almost becomes selfish because you're like, you're not in my life and you had to go die. Whether right. it was their fault or not. Right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. 
you're basically bringing forth this like question of like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do now? Right. That's kind of the that's the way I view that is like to shorten that definition. What am I supposed to do now because of that? Yeah, that's that's an interesting take on that because to me it seems like grief is a great paradox mm. of I want you here, but I know it's impossible. As yeah. Walter Storff just said that to me, grief is a paradox because. And also in incorporating what you also just said. It's this selfishness, but it feels very selfless. Oh. Grief itself feels like a selfless act. Can, can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, because um, I'm also thinking to the book Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. Yep. And in chapter 9 of that book, the main girl, whose name I cannot pronounce for the life of me, so I just call her <laughs> O yeah. in my head, uh, or Rule or something like that is her name. Yeah. But she's grieving the death of Psyche. Mm. And in her grieving it's all about her and how she feels Hmm. and then it becomes all about her and how she's going to ignore how she feels yeah and so it's a very grief is a very self-centered when you really begin to piece it down it feels or it looks as if it's a very self-centered act that we feel is very selfless because my feelings aren't outwardly about me yeah but i am crying and grieving because i feel this way about either what you did, whether it was like a suicide or a divorce or like a let, letting go of a job. Right, right, like, right. Um, but if it if but if it's like an accidental death or something like that or whatever have you, it becomes very selfish because like that person didn't do anything. Right. Right. Like life happened to that person. Yes. And now you're grieving that they're gone. Yes. Because you miss them. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to jump to conclusions, uh, or I don't want to jump any to anything that we want to talk about for the future of this conversation. Yet. Right. But do you think that the reason that we view this kind of this viewpoint as selfish is because of a Christian worldview? Do you think that other people would think that it is selfless that don't um, have a Christian worldview? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think that there's an innate desire to be loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes grief helps us be loved. Yes. And grief puts us in a place where we almost have no other choice. Yeah. But to be loved. Right. And this, what I'm going to say is going to sound very insensitive. Mm -hmm. As Uh, if something I already said has not. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But it's almost like grief is like, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say it. This... uh, you are almost imitation love. Imitation love. It's almost like imitation love. Mm-hmm. Like you're wanting, you're mentally making yourself feel loved by this person. And now that they're gone, it's almost like they've uh, they've taken away this opportunity right. for you to be loved. Mm-hmm. And I don't want this to come off and say that, like, if you're listening to this and you're grieving or you have grieved, right? Or like you find yourself in a cycle of grief that your grief is not important, right? And um, yeah. But, and I want to talk. I'll talk a little bit right. about that later. We'll get there. But yeah. this is like a a from a I've researched grief and I've been studying grief for the past week and have compiled so many different thoughts and so many different outlooks on grief that that when I came across Walter Storff's definition of like it is that desire of like he also says that grief is wanting with all your heart what you know or believe is impossible. Yes. The more intense the wanting, the more intense. The grief. Yes. And so it's that desire of like, I want that person or that job or that thing back. Yeah. And I know it's not possible, but I want it. It's just the way you keep saying like, I want, like, 
But it, it's it's true. Like, right. Like, I don't want to, like, make you feel depressed right now or anything, but if Sydney were to die, mm-hmm. you would grieve that. Oh, you would totally. Grieve that. Yeah, yeah. But you would also want her back. Yes. Yeah, oh, totally. And so, yeah. like, and part of, like, there's this long article by Walter Storff that he wrote that I, I'll share on our Twitter mm-hmm. and my own personal Twitter and my personal Facebook and my personal Instagram. Yeah. But, like, where he comes to this point of, like, but he was in a better... It eventually came to the point of, like, he's in a better place. Mm-hmm. My son loved the Lord. Yeah. And in A Grief Observed, huh. C.S. Lewis writes to that fact of, like, this desire for his wife back. Yeah. For this limb that was chopped off to be replaced. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she will not be. But he also knows that the dichotomy of that is that she's in the best place for any person to be. Yep, yep. Sydney, uh, she'll, sometimes she'll say, like, she, I, I can be in a very emotional person, and I don't always come across that way when on here, or, like, <laughs> if you read some of the things that I write, but I, I am. And uh, she, she, a lot of times she'll say, you know, if I ever watch a movie or something, if I ever die, you know, you have to... You have to move on. Like, you can't be, like... You, you can't just be stuck in a rut when I'm gone. Mm. It's, and, like, usually we've watched something emotional. And like, y'all have been married for, like, ten months. About, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, like um, something like Marriage Story or something like that. Like, I'm emotional. I'll be like, I just miss you so much, you know? And she's like, I've been sitting next to you for two hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, in, in, like, joking aside, though, like, uh, the reason mm-hmm. that she pushes that is because the hole, the hole in our heart... the mm-hmm. A lot of times, to use Christianese, the God-shaped hole that's in our heart mm-hmm. is often we was want that, to fill Is that Christianese or is that Nirvana? I don't know. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's heart-shaped box. Heart-shaped box, <laughs> I was going to say. That's the only one I could think of. <laughs> um, but we often fill it with these other things, so when these other things leave us, the hole is empty. You know? Whether it be another person, whether per- it be your job, whether it be... For, like, me in high school, when one of my favorite bands broke up, I was like, this is so terrible! <laughs> it was the Jonas Brothers, wasn't no, it? No, it was Barlow Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows that. That's fine, that they don't have to. Sorry. They were a popular Christian group that did, like, rock and pop, <laughs> and, like, I loved them. Saw them, like, 12 times in concert. Oh, my gosh. When they finished making music, I was heartbroken for three days. <laughs> Okay, it's more like you grieved three, It was like three hours. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> and then I moved on. <laughs> right, but I think that kind of hopefully, I think that in some ways that puts into perspective what grief is. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a heart, a place in your heart that is not yeah. in your metaphorical heart that is not. Um, it's the filled de- anymore. Yeah, it's the desire for an impossibility. Yeah, that's yeah. That's a great way is, of putting it. Yeah. A desire for an, a known impossibility. Yes, it's not because then I think a desire for. An impossibility unknown mm-hmm. is hope. Mm, yeah, that's good. I, I'm I'm having to I'm having <laughs> to like think about process that for right now. Yeah. But yeah, and so I don't know to kind of get to this next part of the conversation though. Mm-hmm. If we're talking theology of grief, so we're doing the critical millennial theology of oh, grief. Man. Hang <laughs> Take on, it as we as you will. <laughs> Whatever that means. Right. We're gonna get there. <laughs> Okay, Alex, you kind of already mentioned it, but this theology of grief, why don't you walk us through necessarily what a theology of grief might be? That's a big question right there. It wasn't a question, it's more of a, like, big, a, a proposal. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> a theology of grief. So uh, for myself, I when I was doing research and things like mm-hmm. that, my 
my area of like study and, and things like that is not so much in like the human psyche or like psychology and things like that. Whereas I think that's definitely more your area and the philosophy of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I went to God's word, uh, not to say that you don't know God's word, Kyle. It's okay. I'm t- it's I have scripture. <laughs> um, I open Bible too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> But theology group, when I was thinking through it, for myself, I came up with like seven big points of what it was. Whoa, and there are seven stages of grief. Yeah, so, and I don't know them off the top of my head, so I'll be curious how many of mine actually relate to the oh, stages of grief. So cool. we'll see. So for the first one is that humans will experience grief. So what I mean by that is that because the, our nature has fallen, because we're sinful people, we're going to experience grief. Uh where is it? Psalm seventy three twenty six. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart mm-hmm. and my portion forever. Barlow so, Girl has a song about Psalm seventy three. Oh my gosh! Oh, called Psalm seventy three. Oh my gosh! Deep cut. Okay, uh, <laughs> but the first part of that passage, uh, our flesh is weak, so we are going to mm-hmm. one die. That's right. a part of grief, and two, we are going to experience grief, and it's we're going to feel the difficulty of death. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's. A humans will experience it. But number two for me is that it is healthy to experience grief. Mm. And in the sense that grief is a recognition of death and the sadness and the issues that come along with it. And it's the realization that death is something that is abnormal and it's not part of what God it has given us. It was not supposed to be this way. Right. Mm. And that kind of comes from the, I mean, that comes from anything you look at in Genesis, yeah. you know, uh, that's just a reflection on what grief is. Uh, so then the next part, number three, was that Jesus experienced grief. Okay, so wait, what was number one? So number one was humans will experience grief. What was two? It is healthy to experience, experience grief. grief. Number three is Jesus experienced grief. Jesus experienced grief. Yeah. So we and we talked a little bit before, and you had some ideas about this, so I wanna, I'm going to throw it to you for a little bit in a sec, because I think you talk about, you talk about Lazarus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I was looking at, though, when you're ta- when you're talking Garden of Gethsemane, right. and you're thinking Christ, and he's like praying to God, like, don't like I d- do I have to do this? You know, do I have to die? Is this like is is this something I have to do? Mm-hmm. In a sense, he's grieving himself because he knows kind of that he's going to have to experience death. He's going to have to experience sinfulness, which is an interesting concept to grieve a future. Yes, to grieve a future event that will happen. Right. Which is possible for humans, but not in the same way that Christ did. Um, I would disagree. Yeah. Because he's our great high priest and he knows mm. exactly what we emote. He knows what we go through. Oh, totally. And so and so, I would say that it is a possibility. Yeah. I would say that. And that in the and I wrote and a little the bit to that side of Christ. Right. I was gonna say so we can't experience the divine side, which. Mm-hmm. That the divi- the divinity and things like that is just never so- something we right. can never experience. Yeah. Uh, and he, but he experienced death, is the same point we just said, so that we don't have to experience it alone. Right. We have this great high priest, right. that's Hebrews. I don't have it written down. I think it's three, four, four. four um, that we have a great high priest uh, who has experienced this. Uh, Hebrews four fifteen. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. Is there anything you want to mention about Lazarus I think, at this point? I think the interesting thing when we talk about grief a lot, we will instantly go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a, which is a mm-hmm. great place to go when we're talking about Christ himself grieving. Yes. But I think what's important is to go to Lazarus. Yeah. 
and Christ grieving the death of his friend. Mm. But he's not grieving the death of his friend. Yeah. Because Jesus knows. And this is an interesting look at that, at this portion of scripture that I greatly love as soon as I started to see it this way, as soon as the Spirit revealed it to me this way, is that the tears of Christ were not for his friend. Mm. Because Jesus knew he was going to raise his friend from the grave. Right. He knew it. So why grieve it? Mm. And that's the question I ask myself. Why is Christ grieving something he knows is not going to be that way in, in 10, 15 minutes maybe? Or in the next five? Who knows how long it took? Oh, totally. But so then as I started looking at it that way, Christ wasn't grieving Lazarus. He was grieving the fact that we as his bride and also just as children of God or people created in God's image, not necessarily those who are redeemed, but that humans have to go through this mm. because it was not meant to be this right, way. Right. And so when you say that Christ grieves or Christ himself grieved, yes, the garden, but to me, I always think immediately to Lazarus Yeah. and that, dang, it wasn't meant to be this way. Right. And I grieve for my brothers and sisters who are my bride and I grieve for those who are not redeemed mm-hmm. that this is part of living on a fallen sinful state totally yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's a that's a great point and i think it i think it leads starts to lead into these next points that i have written down mm-hmm. so humans will experience grief is number one it's healthy to experience grief jesus experienced grief and number four being that healthy grief is taking time to miss and mourn the lost mm-hmm. so that the sadness that you have it doesn't drive you to a point of like despair, but rather you are looking back and thinking on this person and remembering this person and you're looking for guidance elsewhere mm-hmm. on how to navigate the missing of the, the, yeah. the loss of this person. Right. Uh, and Isaiah 53, hey, four. I have that written down. Too. Whoa. <laughs> oh man. Uh, the first part of it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we mm-hmm. esteem him. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Mm-hmm. And that that point is kind of just talking about the fact that, or the reason I bring that up is because it is talking about the fact that he has carried our sorrows. So when we are looking for another place to go and we're seeking guidance elsewhere, right. he did it for a reason, right? Right. And so then number five for me, for, for my theology of grief that I kind of put together is, this seeking elsewhere will cause you to see where there is relief from pain, mm. namely in the gospel. Right. Um, and the promise of hope that comes from the gospel is what comforts us and brings us to the truth that Christ is enough. And uh, so it's, sorry, uh, for 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all afflictions all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for which we comfort. We ourselves are comforted by God. So with that, with that passage, then we are kind of looking at the fact that he has given us, Jesus Christ has given us his Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. so that there is another place to go to. There's hope otherwise. Right. You know, so then the next part would be number six, healthy grief then brings about the realization that there is hope Mm. for life. Right. Uh, And through this person, 
may though this person, sorry, may or may not have known the truth of the gospel, God is a sovereign God, and he is one that is perfectly good. So, despite how, whatever the, the feeling is, whether you know that they were, you know that they were following mm-hmm. Christ, you know that they were saved by his grace, or whether they were not, you could trust that he is a good God, and the purpose that he did this is for a for a future hope, you know? Mm-hmm. Revelation 21, 4, who wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Mm-hmm. Where there's a future hope to yeah. look upon. I think you said something that I want to touch on for a second mm-hmm. here, and, and it kind of spoke to, like, why did God do this? Yeah. And, and it is not... And I'm a firm believer in this. Within the past, like, three weeks, the Lord has shaped this in me. Mm. And that I am a firm believer that the Lord does no wrong. Yes. That he does only what is good. Mm-hmm. But that any destruction and affliction that comes upon us is not done by him. Yeah. Is allowed by him. Cor- right. And I think that is a huge difference that many, many believers tend to either see the minutia between that statement and just don't care and they won't chase it down to see the huge difference it makes in your relationship with the Lord and the way you look at him or they just don't see it. Yeah. Um, and so like when we think about the death of a loved one or like, you know, great destruction on the earth, like earthquakes and tsunamis or tornadoes and things like that, people say, where is God? Where is God? And mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that he allowed those things to happen just like he did with Job. Yep. And he's on the other side of all of those things saying, I am still here yeah. waiting for you right you know it's it's that old adage of when you find yourself far from god it is not god who has moved yeah and i think that when we talk about grief and pain and depression and those types of things and the where's god and all of that right he's in the same place he's always been you're the one that's moved yes and he's not the one that has brought you to these things he is the one that is bringing you through them Mm. by calling to you yeah because he's just on the other side of it saying i'm here and i'm better totally yeah and I, yeah, I just felt, I felt like we would be amiss if we did not make that statement. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, that was, that was my bad. I'm missing that point because you were very right in that. And I, and that kind of brings up the whole thing. Like when you talk about the problem of evil, why does evil exist in the world? Like it's one, it's because of us. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally our it's, fault. Two, it's never God's fault. Mm-hmm. And three, evil exists in the world so that we could see the hope that he's given us. Exactly. And that's a, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> But then the last thing, that, the last point that I want to bring up from what I found from a theology of grief is that we are not alone. Mm, okay. um, so that God has given us himself. So we've talked a little bit about the Hebrews passage. Mm-hmm. He gave his life in so, and also so Christ walked the earth and we could live. He could live the life for us that we couldn't live. Mm-hmm. But he also gave us the church. Yeah. And the body, and uh, you, I talked a little bit about that in the Second Corinthians passage right. when it's we comfort one another because we know how to navigate mm-hmm. it because of Christ, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from that, those are my big seven points that mm-hmm. I found, uh, and those are really just strictly pulling from scripture right. and things like that. Yeah. So I want to. I'm going to throw it back to you, Kyle. Yeah, I think that for me, I did. I did. Uh, uh, not as much research in scripture as you, as you probably did. I did mm-hmm. a lot more of like the emotional side of grief and like what does the psychology look like to that and what are some ways to help people not necessarily move past grief but cope with grief. Mm, and the yeah. first thing I honestly was shown, was revealed, was Psalm 13. Oh, yeah. And um, it's a psalm of David and it's six verses um, 
So I'm going to read those six verses, and then I'm going to break it down into just a couple points that I, that I have written out here. Um, so Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Mm. Psalm 13 is a depiction of grief and how to grieve. Mm. Yeah. And who is on the other side of grief. Yeah. And so I want to point out that, that an important thing in grief is the vocalization of it. Okay. Yeah. Like God wants you to vocalize your grief with him. Mm. And maybe it's not with him. Maybe it's your grief with the situation because the Lord already knows, but it's you that needs to know. Mm. That's honestly part of, part of prayer is that. Oh, totally. Part of prayer is God already knows, but I need to recognize his power and my weakness. Just read Lamentations. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yep. Exactly. So the vocalization of the of how volatile the grief might feel, that needs to happen. Yeah. Grief needs to be expressed to God. God needs to hear it. Not that he doesn't already know it, but because you need to express it. Mm. And he can take it. Oh, totally. Yep. He can take it and he wants to take it. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's in Philippians. First Peter 5. First Peter. Sorry, First <laughs> you're Peter, good, Philippians. Thanks <laughs> of all times. See, people, I read the Bible though. <laughs> um, and so like there's there's two steps to coping with grief that I've in all of my research to things are two steps to, to coping with grief that I want to mm-hmm. point out it's based on Psalm 13 in Galatians 6 Psalm 13 expressing it to God mm. if you don't express your grief to God in any way yeah, I don't care if you're screaming and cursing at him right because neither does he right I don't care if you're writing it out making a painting of it. Yeah. As long as you're expressing it to God specifically. Yep. And taking it to him in prayer, in art, in whatever form he's given you to take it to him. Yeah, yeah. And to take that another step further, mm-hmm. like, so, but why would I do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you trust that he is right. enough, right? Because what, because what David says in verse, in verse five and six, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. Mm. Steadfast fast love that through all the things in the first four verses his enemies being lauded over him and all these things him hiding feeling god's hiding his face from david still says your love is steadfast yeah and that is why because you have dealt bountifully with me right which if you know the life of david bountiful means both good and bad right but the lord has still dealt with him the lord has not ignored him as it was how he feels the lord has dealt with him yep and so that is that ex- the expressing of it to God. But then the expressing of it to the body. Mm. That's straight Galatians 6, all day, every day. Amen, brother. And so, like, if you're just expressing it to God, cool, awesome, great, keep doing it. But if you're not going to seek out a biblical discipler or a mentor, a biblical counselor, yeah, then what are you doing? You're hoarding it to yourself. And you're not allowing God to hear you and God to reach out to you through his people. Right. And that's all like a big time. Mm-hmm. Something I've realized from my own life is when you hoard that stuff to yourself, right. 
one that is selfishly thinking that you can handle it on right. your own. Exactly. You know, and two, it's like if you're saying you're a Christian, but you don't believe that God's enough, mm-hmm. but you think you're enough, I think there's, right. you need to take a step back, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that, that recognition, that, that surrendering to love, mm. that surrendering to allow yourself to grieve, yeah. express the grief, and then to receive the loving support because of the grief. Oh, totally. And so, and so like to me, like out, that's that's kind of where I went. Like mm-hmm. that's through like I could pull out all these like psychological facts that I know about grief, but what good would they do us if we don't know how to express it or we don't know how to cope with it? Right. And so like you know I could sit here all day and talk about the seven stages: shock and disbelief, denial, bargaining, guilt, anger, depression, and the seventh one: acceptance and hope. Hmm. Like I could talk about those for days. Right. But what good would it do us if we didn't just say to cope with grief? Meet God in your grief. Yeah. And then meet his body in your grief. Right. And don't expect it to be linear. Oh, yeah. yeah. Grief is not a linear thing. And we'll talk about that because the film isn't necessarily linear. <laughs> yeah. And the film itself does that, expresses that really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are really good. I think that I'm going to use a Christian phrase here that your, your points really helps, help to uh, <laughs> grieve well. Isn't that such a Christian phrase? Anything blank well. I know, right? I know. Finish strong. <laughs> <laughs> Not that those aren't good things to say exactly. here, but it's just They're funny. just so overused, it's just, yeah. It's just a funny thing. Yep. But yeah, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else you want to say about the theology of grief, Alex? Any last? Uh, the, the big thing, if I could hit one thing home from what I, everything I said... Mm-hmm. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be trou- troubled. Mm. Neither let them be afraid. Mm. That that be that be the last thing I'd want to say about yeah. mine. So. And I think the last point I want to make is that grief is human. It's perfectly okay to grieve. <laughs> it's okay to grieve the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the breaking up of a band that you like so much. <laughs> um, you know. It's it's perfectly fine to grieve. Don't grieve alone. Yep. Time to take a deep dive into a film this week. Got my, got my snorkel on. Got your snorkel. Oh, I can't uh, deep dive with this. Yeah, that's, you're getting too specific. Got the nitty gritty. Got a scuba tank attached. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scuba steeds. <laughs> Scooby Doo Scoob. Uh, okay, uh, so Kyle picked this uh, picked the movie this week. So this is a very Kyle movie. So Kyle, uh, what is this movie and what is it about? So this film is called. We've already mentioned it, but it's the party's just beginning. Written and directed by Karen Gillan. She's amazing. I adore her. I think she's a wonderful actress and now just filmmaker in general now. Um, but it's about this young woman named Lucy, and it's just about her learning to cope with her grief due to the suicide of her best friend. Yeah. And I think what's what's really awesome about this film is is a reason that Karen Gillan wanted to write and direct this is that she discovered that in the Scottish Highlands, men are are highly more likely to commit suicide than women, which is true in life in general. In general, yeah. in general men are more likely to follow through than women mm-hmm. on a suicide attempt or suicide. Right, right, um, right. But for some reason in the Scottish Highlands where she's from, like this was filmed in her hometown. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. For, except for some that. establishing shots right, and stuff right, right, like right. that. Um, but there in the Scottish Highlands where she's from, 
it was immense. The it was immensely high. Interesting. The suicide rate of young of young men. That's very and so yeah. she wanted to discover that. Right. Discover right, right. why. And through researching the film, she was calling helplines, calling suicide hotlines, you know, talking to psychologists, talking to her family and friends that have lived there their whole lives and have known people that have committed suicide. Right. And and just discovering why. And, and that's that's so interesting. The, the film is an exploration of that. Mm. Mm. That's interesting, yeah. And that's something I didn't realize going into the movie when I watched mm. it yesterday. So that's that's good to know. Um, but before we uh, deep dive this, okay. we always start off film as film. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna throw the. Uh, I'm gonna let you start us off with okay. that. So what did you think? Film as film. Film as film, not deep diving it. So basically, I learned. Side note: I've I've been reading this book. Uh, I just started it today, so not been reading, but I started today. It's called "On Reading Well" by Karen Swallow Pryor, and it's an amazing book. I'm thirty pages in, and I'm like loving every second of it. Mm-hmm. But she helps make the point that. You need to receive art before you critique art. Interesting. And so I've seen this film twice now, and now I will forever, unless I abhor a film, see every film I watch twice. Mm. Once to let it wash over me and to receive it. Yeah. And then to go at it critically. That's what I'm doing with Fast and Furious right now. Sure you are. (laughs) Really bet that you are. (laughs) Sorry. The Family. There you go. Do you want to family. family? There you go. Those are the films. Family. There you go. Play. That's you, it. If you could pull that from it, <laughs> how could you not? That's all he talks about. Only for the last three movies. Oh, shut up, <laughs> Vin Diesel. Anyway, Sorry. Sorry. film film for this. I I greatly enjoyed the the first thing that popped to me was Karen herself. First off, she's very beautiful. She's a, she was a model for a time, and now she's an actress. She's really, a great actress. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Um, she's just, she's very beautiful, but what she does to herself in this film, not like she doesn't physically hurt herself or anything like that, but there is, she wears the emotions so very well that that's what I noticed first. Mm. Before any words were said, any dialogue was done, or she went anywhere, I saw her and knew everything I needed to know. And I think that speaks to her as an actress. You can look at her and see, it's like you're reading her thoughts. Right. Um, the next thing I loved was the was the was the score. Oh, I, I the yep, score yep. is just this biting, saturated, sugar coated club beat. Yep. That you wouldn't expect from a film like this, mm-hmm. a film that is very moody and knows that it's moody and knows what it's about. And we'll get into that. That's a deep dive segment. But the music, that sugar coated club sonic boom. Yeah. Is so is so good. It's, yeah. Um, something else that I enjoyed was just the scale. Oh. I, it's, it's no secret that I like small films a lot of the time, even it's though, no secret, even though yeah. my second favorite movie is Mad Max Fury Road. That's not small <laughs> by any means necessary. But I really enjoy small films and small filmmaking mm-hmm. because they're not afraid to just say what they're about and explore it. Yeah. And, and that's what I deeply love about this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things I don't necessarily like about the film, this isn't necessarily a knock on the film, but it is hard to watch. Yeah. It's just so hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about why. Because um, it's, it's, uh, it's just gritty. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect it to be gritty, especially by the poster, too, and by stuff like that. By the poster and the title and, yeah. like, the, the, the sounds. But it's, it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen it twice in the past two months yeah once yesterday and today I finished it watched it in two sittings because I couldn't take it 
Yeah. Couldn't yeah. take it. Um, so that to me, it's not a perfect film, but like when I think about it, film is film. That's what sticks out to me the most is that it's just so hard to sit through. Totally. It's so very hard to sit through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, to throw myself back to On Reading Well by Karen Swallow Pryor. Right. Is that she says sometimes the greatest art needs to be like slogged through. Oh, to- totally. Yeah. You, you know, and, and I think that this is a. Of great art, and and I will stand by that. You know, it might not be the biggest, flashiest film, but it's, it's great art. So, a film is film, Alex. Yeah. You had a harder time with this film than I did. I did. I, I definitely he did. He texted me, he cried. I didn't cry watching this really? film. Really? Which, if you watch this film, you'd be like, wow, Kyle... I know. Yeah, honestly, I did it. Yeah. I didn't cry. Not one single tear. Uh, I am. I am thoroughly impressed. I'm not gonna lie. Who's uh, the baby now? <laughs> <laughs> so film is film. Stuff I liked for it's be this is this her first directorial. She's directed some shorts. Okay, but not a um, feature length. Not film. A, this is her first feature length. Okay, it's pretty impressive. I will say, like mm-hmm. I was the writing and the directing, like. The shots there was there's one shot where she's they they do it multiple times where she's walking away from her home phone and it's I don't know I I love it I love oh shots you can like, like see that. her you can see her walking the from yeah. the phone and there's that kind of reflects on some of those mm-hmm. moments that she, I don't know I I'm the sap for that kind of stuff I yeah. love that um, Roger Deakins fanboy uh, yeah hundred <laughs> <laughs> um, percent I thought her acting's awesome I've never I really like her in anything she does yeah. I haven't seen her in much. Uh, besides, like her big budget movies is really it. Uh, so having seen her in a role like this was really good, and I was very impressed by her. Um, and much of the the acting in general, her friend, man, like he was, he like convinced me, like to the like to the full extent. Like mm-hmm. I was bought in with these two characters when they when her and her friend were on screen during the flashback oh, moments. Yeah. I was bought in. I yeah. loved it. Um, so the acting and everything like that. And so the things that I didn't like, uh, story, I thought the story was okay. I'm a big person that I need like a, I need like a coherent story for it when it comes to film. And I thought the story was okay. I think you feel that way because it's not told linearly. And most, for the most time, like when you watch a film that deals with something like this, it's kind of more of a linear fashion. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, and that might be part of it. Yeah. There were... So a lot of characters in this movie experience grief in different ways. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective as I'm watching it, I just kind of got burnt out because people experience grief differently in different perspectives. Sometimes it's death. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's loss of a job. Sometimes it's divorce. Sometimes it's losing family. Sometimes it's losing a job and there's all these things. Sometimes it's consumerism and like not having enough money. It's just all this stuff is just coming. Right. And it was just, I'm like, whoa. Like, I'm like, pick a couple, pick a couple. Like I, it's, I just can't handle it. Oh, all you're this. saying you saw all that in the film. Yeah. See, they were, I saw them there, but like they were not the front runner and i didn't think they were all the front runners but for an hour and a half movie I, it was just a little too much for me that might be a personal thing um it definitely could be and then the other thing kyle said it, it's a hard watch i i don't know if i would i'm on the fence so tough right right now of if i would recommend somebody watching this movie mm-hmm. or not i don't know if i would i might heavily caution them to mm-hmm. um so we're we're all about spoilers on this uh, on this podcast. So there's the what there's the rape scene at one point, mm-hmm. 
And I didn't skip it because I don't want to be a hypocrite from last week's podcast. But I had to close my eyes for a good chunk of it just because, like, I was I was getting angry. I was yeah. getting very frustrated. And obviously that's the point of the scene to an extent. Um, mm. But it's, just, like, there's stuff like that. It's just, I think it would be trigger warnings almost for some people. Oh, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't say that I would, you know, go so far as to say don't engage with this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think there's very few films where we sh- where we'll end up saying yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so far, we've only ever said oh. that about Midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ding, there's Midsummer. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think with this, I think I agree with you there that there's some caution. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some trigger warnings, especially if, you know, you've, first of all, if, you, if you've dealt with the death of a loved one, I think that there is a trigger warning there. Yeah. Um, if you've dealt with you know, any sort of sexual assault, there is a, a trigger oh, totally. warning there for you. And, you know, even if you are maybe struggling with alcoholism, there is a yeah. trigger warning there for you. And I think also there's a trigger warning if you're just a lonely, if you're lonely. Yeah. Um, and that's what I yeah. was going to say. And this will lead to this next part of this conversation. Um, the fact that, like, it is, it's a good depiction of grief, mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. But if somebody is either on the verge of experiencing grief or they right. currently are, maybe they just finished the spell of grief, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would ever put this in front of them, you know? But that's a hard thing because is grief ever done? True. True. And that might become to a question of, like, if you're t- talking about the seven steps mm-hmm. in, like, psychology and stuff, like... If you're at the last part where there's like, you well, see you're never really like at that. a last part, right? You know, acceptance and hope, even though it's the seventh stage of grief, 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 no, general, Greep. general griepus. <laughs> wow, that was. I made well, a Star Wars. That was good, movie. yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're at the seventh and final, or air quotes around final stage of grief, like, yeah, you know, that's not to say that it's not going to kick back you, kick you back to five or four. Oh, you totally. Know? Like there is not a linear path through grief. So I think that we should be hesitant to say like, if you finished your grieving, right. You're okay to watch this film because grief isn't done. I don't right. think grief yeah, is yeah. ever done on this side. Yeah. And I think that I wanted to make sure to like specify that's like a spell in the sense of like, you might've jumped back right. to one of those stages or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but let, I'm going to stop talking about film as a film and I'm, I'm curious on some of your thoughts on this mm-hmm. film. Let's start to deep dive this in terms of what grief looks like and how this movie portrays it. Yeah. Um, so, like like we've said, that uh, Lucy, played by Karen, she's she's dealing with the, the suicide of her best friend, Alistair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the film opens in a very... almost feels comedic, but kind of way. It's, it's interesting. The film opens with her in and doing... What she says at the end of the film was her and her friend's favorite thing to do, and that's karaoke. Yep. And the film opens with her at karaoke, but she's not singing. Right. She is spouting this, like, monologue of grief through the through this notion of joining her cult. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And at first, the first time I saw it, I laughed a little bit. I did too. And then, like, upon the second viewing, I was like, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Get what she's saying. And, and, and throughout the film, we kind of see the portrayal of this is that she's trying to invite men mostly because right. she deals with the, in with some pro- with promiscuity and alcoholism. Yeah, no, totally. Um, she tries to invite people into that with her. Yeah. She tries even their other friend, this woman who wouldn't, you know, deal with them when they would do drugs and alcohol. She wouldn't like hang out with them, but she'd still be their friend. She'd just come over when they're done. Um, she would try to invite her back in. Tries to invite her back into this cult of misery and grief. Yeah. Because grief is 
as I've learned to over the past few days to understand, grief is greedy. Oh, totally. Grief yeah. is so greedy. It wants every part of you, and it wants you to want every part of everyone else, mm-hmm. including the impossibility that we've <laughs> talked about. Yeah. Um, but that's that's like so. So she's dealing with this, and she turns to sex, and alcohol, and drugs. Um, which is, in, and she doesn't turn to drugs. I was going to say, she stops doing it. She stops doing drugs because her, her best friend, his dad was a junkie yeah. and he became a junkie. Yep. Yeah. And so like, she was kind of a junkie a mm-hmm. little bit with him. Like she never do the hard stuff, quote unquote, the hard <laughs> stuff, but she would do ecstasy and things with him and they would dance and they would sing. Yeah. Um, and so she's really just dealing with all of that, but she's not dealing with it well. Mm. Yeah, so basically she's just not dealing with anything well. Right. So one of the things this movie does well, and I think it angered me, and this is one of the things that, to the point of tears why I was mm-hmm. crying, is that she, her life, her life before, what, I mean, and maybe, and maybe this is my sheltered Christian view, was not great, like with the drugs and things like that, with Alistair. Mm-hmm. And then she just kept, like, and but then she just kept, like, spiraling out. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, my big struggle with this movie is, like, why, in that respect, she, she missing, missing Alistair, that's a whole other conversation. But, like, was she missing her life before, or was she just missing Alistair? Is she, or is she grieving both, or is she just grieving him? I don't know. I think I thought about this a lot, and I think that one of the th- messages of the film is the danger also of codependence. Oh, because I didn't think of that. Right, because Alistair has a boyfriend. Yep, and the boyfriend goes to church he, and all these things. And he, he works at the church. He works himself, at the church, he? and he doesn't tell the church that he yeah. is struggling with. He's clearly that the boyfriend is struggling with homosexuality. Yep. yep. Um, but they're both the that boyfriend and and Lucy are fighting for Alistair's attention. They're fighting to be the number one person yeah. in, in his life. Instead of being their own person and letting the friendship exist, right? So, let can let's let, let's talk about that because I'm curious now that you're saying this. Mm-hmm. So, what is the then the dangers of codependence and gr- grieving well, <laughs> but grieving as like in from a Christian worldview, like the there are obviously dangers from mm-hmm. this, like that we can see here because if you're codependent on somebody. And they they die, mm-hmm. and in this case, he committed suicide, which is just even that unravels a whole. That's other a whole can of other words. thing, and what her anger with him because of that, you right. know. But now he's gone. So what is she gonna do? Exactly, and I think that's one of the dangers of codependence. Mm-hmm. It's not to this like cutesy degree of like, and I hate to use that word cutesy when I'm about so I'm about to say of like, you know, they're married for fifty seven years, and he dies, and then three months later, she dies because she couldn't be without him. Like. Yeah that kind of romantic spin on codependence. Right. Like, I think it's unhealthy to not be able to be your own person, even if you're married. Yeah, like, oh, Even totally. if you're one flesh, like, be that one flesh. Be married. Be an example of Christ in the church. Like, do it. Awesome. Great. But if, like, you can't spend a day without them or yeah. hours without them, like... Like, if it's hard for you to go to work knowing that your spouse isn't at work with yeah. you, like, that's an issue. Right. And I think that in friendships, and, and how we see it play out in this film, is that Lucy couldn't go on without him, mm-hmm. but also without being needed yes. by somebody. Right. So in that... If and that's, pull- a, that's a huge danger of codependency, is right. that 
there's a human need to be needed. Yes. Like, we all want to be wanted by someone, Mm -hmm. and we all want to be needed by someone in that, like, we have something to offer them because it gives us a sense of importance and power, and it boosts our ego and our pride and our serotonin levels. Right, 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 right. And that's that's also a danger of that because it's addicting. Right. And so when we think of our theology of grief that we defined earlier then... Mm Are, it's no longer codependence, right? right? It's but it's just simply dependence because God does not need to depend on us right. for anything. Exactly. But we can look to Him for dependence. Mm-hmm. So when we lose somebody or we lose a job or mm-hmm. uh, lose a, a lifestyle, in in some ways, you know, like right. we are no longer having to fill this gap in our mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I just wanted to give her a hug at some points in this movie and just tell her the truth, like. I just wanted to like be like it doesn't you don't have to be looking for this you don't have to be sleeping with all these men you don't mm-hmm. have to sleep with three other men or at least go and do it without remembering it right because you need to feel value mm-hmm. it, and it breaks my heart and yeah. maybe that's one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge I think I wasn't a huge fan of this movie but maybe I am because it portrays it so accurately mm-hmm. there's a worldly response to grief. and that's and that's Part of what good art does, Mm -hmm. whether it's a book, a piece of music, or a film, good art will stay with you, but good art will invoke a virtuous response in you. Yeah. And there's a long discussion in philosophy and virtue, but... Oh, totally, yeah. Good art will invoke a virtuous response. Yeah, yeah. And, And I think that this film, The Party's Just Beginning, invokes a virtuous response out of us. Yeah. So... Uh, next part I want to talk about, the party's just beginning, you made me think of it. So that's something, at, at some points in this movie, she's talking to an old man on the phone. Oh, I love it. Oh, I do too. The, I, I love that so much because there was a moment when I was first watching it of like, oh, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Because what's awesome that Karen Gillan wrote into the film was that her family's home line, her family's home phone number, mm-hmm. is one number off from a helpline. A helpline, right. Like a, a counseling helpline. Yeah. And I thought the film was going to turn into people just keep calling. That's what I thought, and too. And instead of, like, yeah. them answering the phone and saying, no, I'm sorry, this isn't the, this is the wrong number, here's the correct number, which, is like, good people, they would say, like, here's the correct number. <laughs> right, right. I thought it was going to turn into, like, a series of random people calling and her helping them right. through their trauma. Mm-hmm. And that helping her through hers. And I was like, that's good. This is going to be fun. Like, yeah. okay, it's going to be more uplifting. And it doesn't turn into It doesn't. That. I'll let you make your thought. But, like, I was having that. I thought, thought. the exact same thing. I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be, like, this whole thing where she's going to go out and she's going to live her life. And it's going to be, like, all dirty and messy. But she's going to come home and be able to speak hope into these people. Be like, a hypocrite. Uh, yeah, basically. And I was like, oh, this movie. I see where it's going. But then it doesn't. Then it doesn't. Um, but the man, the old man on the phone, yes. who is coping with sadness and mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts and things like that, from, or at least that's how it sounds, um, he, says that, he says to her that the party's just beginning. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, there's the title of the yeah. film. But mm-hmm. the reason he says it is because she thinks, like, it's the end of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, he's saying, like... Let's, let's set that scene up really quick. Okay. Because, okay, so earlier in the film, like I said, like, he, he calls their home line, and she at first is just saying to him, like, here's the real number, wrong number, happens all the time, don't feel too bad about mm-hmm. it. But he keeps talking to her. Yeah. He keeps talking to her. Yeah. And she keeps listening. So they develop a relationship, but he doesn't know her real name. She calls herself Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah. And they develop a relationship where she's telling him, hey, invite your children over for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because his wife, Edith, is dead. Yep. 
has passed away and he feels lonely. He feels like his children don't care for him. They want to put him in a home. Right. Which delves into this whole other realm of psychology oh, of of caring for the elderly. Yeah. And like their mental health and their thoughts mm. on suicide because he doesn't want to take his own life. Yeah. And so it's it's after she's... It, I, correct me if I'm wrong, even though I've seen it twice. Uh-huh. Um, it's after she's been raped. She... Yes, it's after she's been raped. Yep. She's on and the then, phone with him. Yeah. And she's explaining everything to him. Mm-hmm. For the first time, she's talking to someone actually about how she feels, what's happened, how she's going about mm-hmm. finding healing or ways to cope with her grief, which are yeah, not yeah. healthy ways, as, we, as we've discussed. And then he says, don't feel that way. Don't do that. Like, the yeah. party's just beginning. Right. Like, you're young. You have a lot of life to live. You know, and he tries to spin it in a very positive way, which I think is really awesome way to, to point that. Like, the party mm-hmm. of your life, the party's just right. beginning. But what I love most about that scene, too, is it cuts to the father. Mm. And her dad is listening on the uh, phone. On the line, yeah. And he hears everything. Mm. But what's also damaging, and, and we can talk about that, is her relationship with her parents and the fact that her dad doesn't acknowledge it. Uh, yeah. he's just heard his, his, like, 25-year-old daughter talk about. Right. And the... Th- Oh man, it's it just this this is all wrapping up towards the end of the movie here, and mm-hmm. it's I'm getting so frustrated at this point when I'm watching it, just because like I said, I just want to give her a hug. Like she just needs somebody in her life. Yeah. But her parents, like, where her mom is sucked into consumerism. Oh yeah. And um, how how does how does uh Lucy say how does she she when they're sitting on the couch at one point talking she says she's like a socialite or a social climber or she's something a social, like, she's a social climber. yeah and like so she's so focused on that and then her dad is so engrossed in consumerism as well but through television, television. and taking all this mm-hmm. stuff in that they just don't know how to talk to her and in a way that's like not like I'm not sympathizing with them but rather they just have never learned and they never, never cared learned. enough to learn. There's there's that scene on the couch in the store. Like there's a scene in this movie where where Lucy and her mom go they're going shopping because mm-hmm. that's how her mom copes. Yep. They're shopping. Yep. And and um so they're they're sitting on this kind of ugly couch. Yeah, it was really ugly. But her mom <laughs> likes it a lot. I don't know why. She not, she doesn't like it. She just wants to buy it. Yeah, she just wants to buy it. She really doesn't like it. She just wants yeah. something new. She yeah. just wants to buy it so it's something new in her house. Yeah. And she's she has to have her daughter, she has to have Lucy buy it because she's been blacklisted because her credit's so bad. It's garbage, yeah. It's, it's so just bad. So, But instead of like, instead of saying no, the daughter gives in, she buys them the couch. But, um... Lucy looks her mom dead in the eyes and says, "Why did you do that to me?" Mm-hmm. And she's and she her response is to why she doesn't have a sibling. Yeah, cause she yeah. And it's because her Lucy's mom like grew up poor and grew up didn't have a lot of stuff and she didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So she dove into consumerism and credit card debt and like didn't give Lucy a sibling and Lucy's just like, I, I don't have anyone to talk to. Yeah. Right. There's nobody for me. I mean... And and which shows that she looked at her relationship with Alistair like a sibling, like her brother. Oh, yeah. That she always wanted but could never have. Yeah, and she, that, that void in her heart was filled with Alistair. Mm-hmm. And for a while it was good. And she was like right. feeling like she was loving it because she loved him. And, and, and she another, loved her back. Right. And a heartbreaking thing for me that's a smaller moment that's not explored as much as I would like it to in the film mm-hmm. Is that she plays the piano? Yes, I and was. I was hoping they'd go further with it. There's yeah. a scene where the mom is like, "Get a hobby," yeah, like thinking that her daughter just needs to get a hobby and get over this. Yeah, and so like the next scene is 
is Lucy just walking down the stairs calmly and just going and playing the piano beautifully. Like, yep. playing it very well. And then, the, like, a couple scenes later, the mom's like, we need to sell the piano. No one uses it. Yeah. And instead of saying, like, I use it. Yeah. Or, like, I want to play it. Or just going and playing it. Mm. Like, that's left ambiguous. It's like, like did they get rid of the piano? Right. And you know? they only touch on it. source of relief. Yeah. The only time, a lot of the only times her shoulders mm. are relaxed, funnily enough, it's kind of when she's at the piano. Yeah. You notice her posture change. Uh, obviously, because when you're playing piano, your posture changes. But, like, her demeanor changes when she's expressing her emotion yep. through art because no one will listen or, or she can't talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And that speaks, this film speaks volumes to expressing grief in healthy ways. But what it shows is the opposite. Yeah. The message of the film, in part, is like you have to find a healthy way to express your grief. Mm-hmm. And it tells us that by showing us how not to right. at all. Yep. And that is the big thing that I want to talk about. Like, at the like, end all be all mm-hmm. is the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get to the end? No, I'm, I, okay. I, think, I think I'm... I think, Suicide's not the answer. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like it never, it never is. Um, but, but Alistair is is a man, but he's also a member of the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community in that he wants to be a woman. Right. He wants to start surgeries and transitioning. And and I would be amiss if well, there's there's two things I want to mention this and then one other thing. But I would be amiss to say that like. To not speak to that really quick. Mm-hmm. And in that, the LGBTQ plus community has some of the highest suicide rates. Yep. Gender aside, because gender's a confusion in that whole arena. Yeah, yeah. And, and people of trans, uh, or, or who claim to be trans or live that lifestyle, will commit suicide more often than any than any straight person. Mm-hmm. And any straight man would. And, and it just, that speaks to the volume that even your sexual identity will not satisfy you. Mm-hmm. And only the love of Christ will satisfy you. Right. And, and like, the film obviously is not going to go there. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't re- paint religion as an enemy. It, nope. ju- it doesn't. It just it, kinda, I was going to say, it's not even there, it really. It just yeah. mentions it, and it's fine, and it's whatever. Yeah. But but the fact that Alistair is a man seeking to transition into a woman who ends up committing suicide because his father dies, and because his boyfriend doesn't want to be his boyfriend anymore. Mm-hmm. And that he can't really afford and live the lifestyle that he thinks his body's telling him to live. Yeah. Like, that is that is in this film, and I think that it's important to, to mention that, that that's in this film. Totally, yeah. And yeah, that yeah. his suicide is the catalyst for Lucy to wake up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a reason to ever commit suicide, is to wake up other people, because ultimately suicide is an act of selfishness. Yeah. Because um, you don't see who you leave behind mm-hmm. and what it's done to them. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, I wanted to mention that, but I wanted to mention her use of music in this. Okay. Yeah. Um, just like in C.S. Lewis's *Till We Have Faces*, and Oruel is using her um, training with Bardia to silence her depression and her grief. Mm. Uh, Lucy seeks to silence her depression and her grief with music. Every time we see her going out and when she's feeling fine, the music is. Loud and, yeah. and it's that sugar coated yep. that sugar coated sonic boom that I've talked about. Yeah, and it's every time same song. Time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But but whenever she takes a guy, she she says, "Got any music?" Yeah, in a very nice, 
Scottish accent. Yeah, I, I, know. Wish I could do. <laughs> but she just says, you got any music? Yeah. Because she doesn't want to do what she's about to do. Mm-hmm. So she's going to listen to something that she'll enjoy. Yeah. Um, but she falls, she kind of falls for this guy named Dale. The bearded man. The bearded man, <laughs> as the film will say. Um, his name is Dale. He says yeah. his name is Dale. But he, they meet at a bar. They go back to his um, hotel room. Mm-hmm. They have sex. Um, it's not glorified. It's not anything. It just, yeah. you, you just know that it happens. It's implied. Right. Um, but then, like, he comes back into the story, and you're like, oh, I thought, didn't think he would come back. And he admits to her that the only reason he's there is because he read about a bridge that many people commit suicide off of, and he came to town to do that. Yeah. And she talks him off the ledge. She literally, they're at the ledge of the bridge, the same bridge where her best friend committed suicide by jumping off and letting a train run him over. Mm. She talks him off the ledge. Yeah. And and I think it speaks to her realizing what Alistair did was wrong. Yep. I think she always knew that, but I think watching this man almost do that helped her invoke that into herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the end of the film, she's standing on that same bridge. Yeah. And she says to Alistair, you know, she curses him out and then is basically like, how dare you do this to me? Mm-hmm. Like, you did this to me. And it, she's basically reclaiming her life again. Right. And then she moves on. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, uh, well almost. Yeah, almost. Yeah. It's And the thing I want to talk about is like, I think that is a, uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that's a, it's a good moment for her character to like mm-hmm. reclaim her life I think and not let this hold her back. I think it's one of like two good moments. Right, right. But then at the end, she calls up this friend, which is good. Like, she's finally reaching out to people. Like, that's the redeemable part of it. But she's like, talks to her. And she's like, you want to go get smashed? I'm like... Oh, I know. Oh. And I think that was like... Um, and that's how it ends. Like, that's... The movie Yeah, just the ends film right ends there. with her walking away from this bridge. Yep. Being healed and letting go of, of Alistair and the pain that he's causing her. Right. And him and all of it. Right. And then she calls the third friend that never wanted to do drugs with them. Right. That would never get, you know messed up with them she just didn't like it mm-hmm. and it ends with her calling her and saying let's go get smashed I know. and that and i think that might that part was like the ultimate frustration yeah. for me and it also like i see why it's happening because like it's her first step in like kind of reclaiming her life mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. she's still gonna get smashed but she's gonna do it with somebody that she knows <laughs> but all in all like it's like this, I just wanted to, like, take a little something from the end there. Like, I just wanted a little redeemable moment in that end. And that's, like, that's like me. I, I feel like a Star Wars fan right now, saying what I want from the movie and not getting it. But um, it's, I don't know. It, it was the big frustration for me. And, like, you were so close for, like, a healthy, like, taking back of your life from grief. Well, again, again, I'm going to point out that that good art doesn't always give you what you want. And you're right. You're right. It gives you either reality or what you need. Right. And you're definitely right. And that's why I think... That's why Star Wars isn't necessarily good art. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not going <laughs> to say you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, but... And I think that is... I think that's very true. And I, that's why I think talking through this, I'm no longer at the point where I wouldn't recommend this to somebody, but more like... Make sure you're in a state of mind where you're ready to like kind of work through some of these ideas. Yeah, I think I think this film is a healthy catharsis in in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this film speaks to realities, to the way that the world will respond to things, yeah. and I think that that in of itself is good knowledge for believers to have. 
Yeah. Because I think so often we think that the world's going to react some way or we're, we're told that the world will react some way mm-hmm. from a pulpit or from Christian school. <laughs> don't send your kids to Christian school. Um, <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> we don't have time. But I think that there is um, a power in knowing. Yeah. In knowing, hey, this is how people of who are unredeemed will act. And, and you know, Karen Gillan wrote this from some experience in, in a way that she's partied and things like that. She's admitted to it, but she's never, you know, she's gone on record saying that she's like, I've not used it as a coping, yeah. but I know people who have. Right. So she wrote part of it from experience of watching people do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I yeah. But and I think that this film can give power and knowledge to believers to help. To be able to come at it with that theology right. of hope and like right. that theology of grief mm-hmm. and to be like, all right, so you don't have to go get smashed right. to like f- cope with this, but let's figure this out. I'm going to show you the, the hope that comes mm-hmm. with this, that you can figure it out this way. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And I think the, the final thing that I want to say on this, on this entire topic, theology of grief and in the parties just beginning on Hulu, I recommend watching it. Mm-hmm. I recommend sitting down, um, not maybe with a snack, but just sitting down with a pen and paper. Yeah. And letting the art, like, and just receive it. Mm-hmm. And um, spending time, from my side, spending a little time in prayer about it afterwards and mm-hmm. kind of thinking through how you can speak in other people's right. lives. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I want to say to this is that the answer to suffering and to grief is God. But not in the authorship of why, but in the answer to how can I go on. Amen. Yeah, amen. I couldn't have said it better myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the party's just beginning, guys. Yeah. Um, there's more that we could have delved into. Like, there's a lot more. Um, the film itself, I think, is heavy, as we've said, but it's worth a watch. Mm-hmm. It's 91 minutes, probably 85 when you take out the credits. I was going to say, it's less than that. Worth your time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Why did I do that? I don't know. I clapped like she did T-Rex, T-Rex, did T-Rex, did T-Rex yeah. arms and then I clapped and it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I looked ridiculous. Anyway, thanks for joining us for this grief party, everybody. <laughs> what? I, nothing, nothing. What? I was, nothing. I'm not going to say that. What would you call I'm not gonna, No. no I'm, you're going to say it. No, I'm not going to, because I wasn't a name for it. It just made me think of another movie when you said that. What did you think of? I don't want to say it on this podcast. Oh no, you! I think you would know. I don't think I know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we had a grief party. <laughs> it was fun. It was. It was fun. good. It was I good hope that you guys learned something. What is your theology of grief? Yep. Uh, let us know on the Z Twitter. Please do tweet at us. Yeah. I want to know more. And I want to know. know, I want to hear what you guys think when you watch this movie. Yeah. The party's just beginning on Hulu now. Yeah. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Next episode, we are going to. We're going to. We're going to attempt to climb a Mount Everest of film. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how far we make it. And not the film Everest starring Jake Gyllenhaal. I forgot about that movie. That's one of his weakest movies. That's just a. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> we are going to attempt to deep dive Apocalypse Now. Q Ride of the Valkyries. 
Oh my gosh. Anytime you see a like an explosion in a film that like goes along a path, <laughs> it's because of this movie. Or Creedence Clearwater Revival, anything that's and, a Vietnam ooh. song. Yes. <laughs> Kong Skull Island. <laughs> yeah, that's the face I make whenever you mention Fast and Furious. <laughs> so get wrecked. Touche, touche. We're deep diving Kong Skull Island at some point. At some point we're gonna do it. The day I quit this podcast. That's <laughs> whatever. Anyway, Apocalypse Now will be on our next episode and potentially a deep dive into the futility of war itself. Oh my gosh. Sorry. What if I'm just thinking about it now. (laughs) The movie is like three and a half hours long because we bought the final cuts of the film. No, we'll see. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Critical Millennial. Go have a grief party. Let us know how it goes. Bye. Oh my gosh, the critical millennial!